It is a blessing to be able to worship the Lord with you this morning. I will tell you that this has been a uh, very emotional time over the past couple weeks. We have seen so many things, and in many ways, some of them have been good things, but in some ways, not so good. There have been some things that have happened that are very scary things and things that maybe we wouldn't enjoy. I was at the Daniel High School football game on Friday night, and it was an enjoyable occasion because they actually won, uh, which is a, a little bit unique, but they they played very well, and as they were playing, uh, they were in the fourth quarter, and one of the young men from the other team was injured. Uh, he laid on the field for about 45 minutes before he was carted off in an ambulance. Apparently, he at that point, his legs were not responding. He was unable to move. Uh, the movement has come back from what I understand. But I thought to myself as I sat there and watched and the stadium grew silent and the people began to pray, which by the way, it was a great image. I even took a picture of it, but then I, I haven't been able to put it out on Facebook. But a great image of the football teams as they gathered together to pray at midfield. That's what's supposed to happen when stuff like that takes place. But I will tell you, as I sat there watching the events take place, my thoughts went to the mother and the father of that young man who was laying on the field unable to move. I wondered to myself the thoughts that must be going through their mind as their child was unresponsive initially, and here they are wondering, will my son be able to do the things he once did? What if it were even more severe? What if it were possible that this young man might lose his life over the events that took place? And my mind just began to race for this mother and father and what they must be going through. I will tell you that the message that I am bringing this morning, in my opinion, is the most important message I will ever be able to bring to the church. We've been working through this series, actually started a couple weeks ago, entitled The Signs of Life. And we looked at the first sign, which was a yield sign, and it simply identified the fact that we as individuals who claim Christ must be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Wherever God would lead us, whatever he would desire us to do, we must yield ourselves to him. So every time you see a yield sign when you're driving down the road, you should think of that yielded to God message. Today, though, I want us to look at the one-way sign. Because the reality is there is only one way for anybody to be able to experience God and his grace and the goodness that he offers to us. There is only one way. And if we do not respond to that, if we do not do it God's way, Unfortunately, there is also great sorrow and eternal death that awaits us. As we look today, we're still going to be basing this out of the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at a few verses in Genesis 12, but as we look, we're also going to spend a great deal of time looking elsewhere throughout the scriptures. First of all, in Genesis 12, verses 6 through 8, we read this. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. 
we see within this passage that Abram, later Abraham, actually has a choice. Part of this is based on some of the things that he's made, decisions that he's made before. It's sort of a recap of the yielded life. He had a choice. He could have stayed where he was, but God told him to go to a place that I will show you. A very vague calling, but simply called him to go. Abram had a choice. He could stay where he was. He could do things his way, or he could choose to do things God's way. In doing so, he would either experience God's promise or God's punishment. If he chose to do things his way, he would experience God's punishment. You say, well, God doesn't tell him he's going to punish him. Here's the thing. Unless we choose to do things God's way, you'll never experience God's promise. You'll never experience the blessing that he has for us. I will tell you that as I begin this sermon today, you too have a choice to make. You can do things your way or you can do things God's way, but understand that doing things God's way will always be the best option for you. Abraham immediately discovers this principle. His journey has taken him to the promised land. In fact, this is the first time that the promise is clearly given. God has taken him to a physical land that is known as Canaan, and he promises to give him this land specifically to Abraham and to his descendants. And while this is an earthly promise to Abraham, God offers a similar promise to those who would call upon the name of the Lord. The only difference is that the promised land that Abraham is promised is a temporary place. It is a physical place. But there is an eternal place that has been promised to us. So I guess the question that needs to be answered is how do we get to the promise? And I'll tell you, Abraham had it easy. God called him to go, so he decided to go. Didn't give him any instructions. This is the direction I want you to go. I want you to, to head east. I want you to head south. He doesn't tell him any of that. He simply says, I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Very vague instructions, but somehow he gets there. The cool thing for us is God has given us instructions on how we can get to the promised land. Specifically, eternal life in this heavenly kingdom that God has promised to us. As we look in the New Testament, we see a roadmap to salvation. So let's look at it for a moment. First, we see in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, these words, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I want you to understand today that this puts us on common ground with every other person out there. There are some individuals we look at and we think, you know what, that's a bad person. That's an evil person and they deserve to be punished for who they are. But understand that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that means that even if you've been raised in the church all your life, if you've been raised in another faith all your life, or if you've been raised out of any faith all your life, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has fallen short of what God desires for us. We are imperfect. We are human beings. And the reality is none of us is better than another. And of course, the problem with that is found in Romans 6.23. It says that the wages of sin is death. 
that means that if we get what we all deserve, since again, we're all on common ground, we all have sinned, then we all get death. Now understand that the death that is referred to here is not merely a physical death. Certainly physical death was a, a a response to sin's introduction to humanity. We don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden before they decided to sin. They may have been there for six days. They may have been there for 100,000 years or maybe even 6 million years. We don't know how long they lived. Guess what? It didn't matter how long they lived because death had not been introduced to humanity. Until sin entered the world, they didn't have to worry about dying. They didn't age. They didn't have to worry about the effects of it. Nobody got sick. It was simply they lived and they celebrated. They walked with God. They enjoyed the beauty that God had created. But the moment Adam and Eve committed sin, humanity was introduced to death. Oddly enough, Adam and Eve are not the first ones to experience death, however. Obviously, there was an animal that paid their price. Actually, the moment they realized they had sinned, they also realized they were naked. You remember the story, and they tried to cover up with fig leaves, and apparently it wasn't enough, so God took the the skin of an animal. So that animal gave his life. But imagine being in Adam and Eve's shoes, knowing the beauty and the peace and the joy that they experienced in the Garden of Eden knowing that because of their sin, now they would have to deal with death, but they wouldn't be the first ones to die. Adam and Eve watched their son die. Cain kills his brother Abel. Imagine the regret and the sorrow that they experienced, realizing that the loss of their son could have been avoided had they only been faithful to the Lord. But the wages of sin is death. It's not a New Testament principle. It's not an Old Testament principle. It is, in, it is a humanity principle. It's something that God had told them from the very beginning. But it's more than a physical death. There is an eternal death as well. The eternal death is referred to in various ways. Some refer to it as hell. In other places, it's called Hades or the lake of fire. Regardless of its name, Scripture very clearly describes it as a place of eternal suffering and torment. But what makes this place so unbearable is not darkness, it is not fire, it is the absence of God. It is the reality that once you arrive in this place, you will never ever leave this place. Hell is an eternal destination. And this is the wage of our sin. It's what we deserve. But in that same verse in Romans 6.23, it also declares that there is another way. It continues by saying, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're talking about wages. Well, Jesus was willing to pay the wage for your sin. Remember that the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. John 3, 3, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A few moments ago, I spoke of a physical death 
and a spiritual death. Well, in the same way, there is a physical birth and a spiritual birth that we can experience. The physical birth has obviously already happened. You're here. You are alive. But it's the spiritual birth that must occur for us to be able to experience God. One way to illustrate this would be to show you with these. Brought some stuff here with me today just to kind of illustrate what life is like for many of us. For many of us, what we do is we go through life continually picking up all kinds of baggage. It's all kinds of stuff that we choose to carry around with us. Maybe it began because of the fact that somebody said something to us that gave us a really poor impression of God's view of us. Maybe it was a dad. Maybe it was someone who they didn't necessarily like us as much as they should have. They didn't love us the way they should have. Maybe they told us we were stupid. Maybe they told us we were useless. And for whatever reason, we picked up a bag. Maybe something bad happened to us. Maybe something horrible happened to us. Maybe someone physically abused us. Maybe someone was unfaithful to us in marriage. And what happens is we picked up another bag. And we began to carry this weight around with us as if this was the thing that defined who we were. For others. It's not what somebody else said. It's not what somebody else did. But rather it were the choices that we made. And what happened was the more sin that we picked up, the more that sin began to weigh us down. The more that sin began to identify who we were. And what happened was after a while, it began to wear us out. And before long, there was other baggage that needed to be picked up. As we began to realize that our sin affected other people, we began to wish that we could change things, but we knew that we couldn't. So what we did is we continued to pick up more baggage and more baggage. And everywhere we went, we tried to do the things that we needed to do. But no matter what we did, we seemed to never be able to let go of the baggage. We became burdened by it, weighed down to where it seemed as though there was no way for us to ever let go. Well, how can we experience being born again, being set free, leaving the past behind us? How do we lay aside our baggage and live as new creations the way God has called us to live, to be truly set free, to leave the weight of sin behind? I want you to know that the only way is through Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The beauty of that statement is that you don't have to be the one to drop the bags. He does it for you. He's the one who will transform your life. He's the one that will set you free. And he is the one who gives you a hope for new life. He's the one who makes you born again. You know, there are a lot of ways that people have tried to be able to release the bags. There are self-help groups 
where individuals have gone to the continual meetings trying to make things better. And you know what? In some ways, I guess it does sort of make things a little better because you begin to realize you're not by yourself, but the fact is you're still carrying around the bags. Others have tried other religious faiths, trying to find some way to perhaps earn their way into heaven. Some have chosen to do as many good works as possible. But you know what all those things do? If anything, they increase the baggage. Because the next thing you know, now we feel weighted down by other people's expectations. And we're no better off than what we were to begin with. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He came to set us free from all that baggage. Romans 10 verses 9 and 11 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Note that this is more than admitting you are a sinner. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do need to confess our sin. But notice here in Romans 10, it says to confess him as Lord. This is a reference not only to the fact that here we are sinners... We are imperfect in all these ways, but it is also a declaration that you are the Lord of everything. You're the only one who can change my circumstances. It is a declaration that he is the only way. Once you've confessed to him, listen to this. You no longer have to carry the baggage anymore. The moment you confess your sin to him, you can leave that baggage behind. Which is good because it was getting really heavy. (laughs) And I would imagine that many of you would say the same thing. The baggage that we have carried for so long, it weighs us down and it wears us out. But Jesus has said that if you will come before me, If you will come recognizing yourself as a sinner and he as the Lord, then I will set you free. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The bags are gone. And from this moment forward, we no longer live as those who are condemned to death. But instead, we live for the one who gave us life. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now that you have let go of the bags, now that you have been set free, you are a new creation. We must now live as those who have been redeemed. We cannot live the way we did before because we're not the people we were before. As new creations, we cannot continue on that path. I have good news for you. It is only possible to be changed because of God's presence in your life. 
Notice that as Abraham found himself in the promised land, that he experienced God's presence very clearly. God had spoken to him before. God had told him to leave his place where he was to go to a place that I will show you. But twice in the passage that we looked at today, we see that Abraham built an altar and he sacrificed to the Lord. It would seem that Abraham realized that in this place of freedom, in this place of a new life, God's presence was there. Where is God's spirit now? Psalm 139 verse 7 tells us, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. As a new creation, the moment you decided I'm no longer going to carry those bags, you gave up the weight that you were carrying. And God said, I've got something even better for you. I will give you my Spirit. And I will allow you to house that spirit and allow that spirit to come out of you to be a witness to the rest of the world, to be an example to them. I will go with you wherever you go. But I will tell you this, while we've spent all this time looking at this one way, I have bad news for you. There is a rough road ahead for those who choose to follow him. I would love to tell you that the moment you choose to surrender your life to him, that everything's going to be easy, but that's not the truth. Consider for Abraham and his journey. He had a rough road. In the years that would follow, not even just the years, in the months that would follow, he would face a drought that would take him to Egypt, which, by the way, later on, his descendants would have to do the same. He would experience marital problems. You say, how do we know he experienced marital problems? Twice he went into cities where he told his wife, tell them that I am your brother rather than your husband. And neither time did it work out well. I will guarantee you he had some marital problems that existed. He had family disputes with his brother Lot, specifically over land. Lot's servants and Abraham's servants were battling over the land that they had. They were bumping into each other and almost to the point of fighting. Abraham says, tell you what, you choose which way you're going to go and I'll go the other way. He would face military battles. He would struggle with doubt. And yes, probably even some fear. You say, well, what are you talking about doubt? You remember Abraham was the guy who decided that he was going to sleep with his wife's maidservant because he doubted that God would keep the promise through her. There's some doubt that was there. Others would journey down rough roads as well. I think of David to begin with. David was anointed by God by the prophet Samuel. He would be the next king. David had such respect for the man who had been in that role His name was Saul. Even though David was willing to do whatever God called him to do, and he was willing to go, not everybody rejoiced over his decision. Saul saw him as a threat. And even though David would serve King Saul, and he would do everything possible to protect King Saul, Saul sought to kill David. It's a pretty rough road. Even once David became king, he had those who... 
they stood in the way of the ministry and the work that he was doing. Consider his son, Absalom. Absalom was the third son of David. He was beautiful. He would have been the guy that everybody else wanted to be. He was handsome, young, good-looking guy, had long, flowing, beautiful hair. In fact, most people simply assumed that there would come a day Absalom would take over the kingdom. However, Absalom was not content waiting for that day. So Absalom decided to lead a rebellion against David. And as a result, eventually, Absalom is killed by one of David's men. I will guarantee you that was one of the hardest days in David's life. Because he saw someone that he loved, he saw his son had died. Not even just the fact that his son had died. But when he died, they weren't in a good relationship. Absalom was trying to overthrow, trying to stop David from doing the things that David was called to do. And it had to break his heart. Consider Mary. She was willing to do whatever God called her to do. She was a woman who, very young woman, probably a teenage girl, who the Holy Spirit came upon and told her that you will be with child. But it wouldn't be easy. She would likely be mocked by others. Who would believe that this woman was a virgin, but she was with child? Yet that's exactly what was happening. When she does give birth, she gives birth in a stable instead of a nice hospital or palace. This was a woman who had a rough road. Consider Peter, specifically when he walks out on the water. What a cool experience that must have been for Peter. You know, he's out on the boat with the rest of the disciples. They see Jesus coming, walking on the water, and he says to Jesus, Lord, if that's you, call to me and I will come. So he calls and Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. How cool must that have been? How many of you have ever wanted to walk on water? I mean, it must have been the most amazing thing in the world. But all of a sudden, the wind and the waves began to crash around him. And he became more focused on the struggles that were there and the dangers and the risks than he was on Jesus Christ who had called him to come. And Peter began to sink into the water. You see, even when we choose to follow God and to do things his way, it doesn't mean that the road won't be rough. Actually, it will be. In all of these cases, it wasn't easy, but I will guarantee you it was worth it. David would accomplish great things for the kingdom. Mary would give birth to the Son of God, and Peter would become the only person other than Jesus to ever walk on water. It was worth it. I will tell you that your journey will be rough as well. There is no get-out-of-jail-free card for you. This is where the rubber meets the road, and I'm going to bring it to a close here. Over the past two weeks, I have seen so many things that have been difficult to watch. Last week alone, this community experienced the loss of Shannon Prophet. The family is here today. 37 years old, six children had just given birth to her youngest child four days before the Lord called her home. Nobody would have expected that that was what was coming. 
She got up that morning and thought, what an incredible God I have. He has blessed me in so many ways. The family had no idea what would take place. My next door neighbor, the day before Shannon passed away. My next door neighbor, 32 years old. Three children, the youngest being eight, lost his life as well. I was talking with Nate Drake that same day. He was driving to work. And as he was driving to work, he saw a motorcycle accident. Again, a very young man. He was killed, left behind a wife and a child. What I want you to understand today is nobody knows when that day will come that our time will end here. Nobody knows. I think that as a church, we understand that there is a need for us to go out and to tell people that there is only one way. We, we recognize that there is a need to evangelize our world. However, I wonder if we truly realize how significant that need is. I was reading some statistics this past week. 3% of those who would call themselves Christians will lead someone else to Christ in their lifetime. That means 97% of those who would call themselves Christians will never lead a single person to Christ. And I understand that there are some people that are gifted in the area of teaching and preaching and evangelism, and there's this mindset that we'll let them do it. No. If we recognize that God has called us to go and evangelize, if we recognize that there is absolutely no other way, if we were to look at our family and say, you know what, if my son... If my daughter, if my sister, my husband were to die today, they would spend eternity in hell. How can we remain silent? Do we really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation? Do we really believe that if they do not find Christ that they will spend eternity in hell? If we do, then why are we not telling them? Why are we not showing them? Why are we not inviting them to experience God's grace like he's never given it to them before? If we truly believe that Jesus is the only way, we ought to have such an incredible passion and a hunger and an urgency to go out and to proclaim the good news of Christ to the world around us because we don't know that they have tomorrow. I ask you today, do you truly believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? I told you I was doing some reading of statistics this week. 53% of those in the Protestant church believe that there is perhaps another way aside from Christ. Let me assure you, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Do you really believe that without salvation, all humanity will go to hell or the lake of fire or Hades or the pit or whatever name you want to give it? 
where they will experience great suffering and sorrow for all eternity. So what are you doing about it? I want to challenge you this morning. In fact, this is probably the most direct challenge I could give you. First of all, examine your own heart. If you are not ready to meet Christ, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. You need to surrender your life to him. You need to confess to him that he is Lord. Confess your role as a sinner and invite him to bring his Holy Spirit and to allow it to dwell in your heart. That's where we need to begin. But for the rest of you who have been in the church for so long, those of you who know the truth, I want to challenge you today to begin to proclaim the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ to the world around you. Maybe you start with a family member. Maybe your husband, maybe your wife, maybe your kids do not know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Are you okay with that? If not, do something about it. Share with them the love of Christ. I'll tell you what, I want to hear Stories of how God uses you to share the good news of Christ with your loved ones. Take your bulletin inserts. Use the, the sermon there, specifically the, the plan of salvation, the scriptures that are all listed there together. Walk them through that and simply share with them that Jesus Christ can redeem them and give them a hope. I challenge you, take the verses and use them for your glory. It's God's word and allow his word to change their lives like he's changed yours. Are you okay with their destination being hell? If not, do something about it. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we begin by thanking you for your grace. We confess to you that we are sinners and that you are the only one who is capable to do anything about it. You are the Lord. We ask right now that you would forgive us of whatever sin we have held on to. Allow us to lay our baggage behind, to no longer carry it with us, no longer be identified by the sin and the weight of that sin. But rather, Lord, I pray today that we would be made new, that we would be set free, and that today we would have that promise of eternal life. Never having to deal not only with the weight of sin in this life, but the weight of sin after we die. The punishment for that sin. But I pray today that you would grant us your forgiveness and your grace. But Lord, I also pray today for those people whom we love so much. Who they need your grace today. But I do pray that they would realize it. I pray that your spirit would already begin to speak to them. But then I also pray that you would empower the people of this congregation to go to them, to share with them, to have that urgency that says, I cannot sleep tonight without knowing whether your heart is right with God. But I pray today that you would grant us wisdom from your Holy Spirit to be able to speak the truth 
to lead others to Christ. Lord, help us today to be used by you in the lives of the people that we love. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, before I dismiss you guys, I want to tell you guys, we have something tonight that I'm really excited about. We are going to have a concert here at the church this evening. Uh, it's actually a friend of mine from the first church where I pastored at in Burlington, North Carolina. And he is going to be sharing. He sang Southern gospel music for years. I think now he does a blend to where it's Southern gospel, but he also does some more modern contemporary songs. So it's, a, it's a, really a blended type of concert. The goal of this concert is not just to have teenagers come or the BYF group come. Our hope would be that the entire congregation would be able to come and worship and celebrate together. There's actually a small group that meets typically on this particular night. Uh, it's called the Intergenerational Small Group. Well, I want this concert to be an intergenerational concert. And they are going to, instead of having their own intergenerational group, they're going to bring everybody over here uh, and we're going to participate together. I will tell you that after the concert, we are going to do something fun and exciting, but I am going to need some adults who will participate because we are going to have a little competition with the young people and the not so young people. By the way, I included Amanda uh, in the not so young people. She's with the adults, just to let y'all know. We are going to have a competition with them. I need you guys to come and have fun. Here's the thing. It may not be something that you would do all the time. I'm speaking to the not so young people now. Sometimes we do things just to be a blessing to those young people, to let them know that we are here for them. We love them and we support them and we need each other in the body of Christ. I was so encouraged last Sunday. I went to a Mennonite service and while I was there, I felt such an incredible sense of family in that service. It wasn't just because you had kids who sat with their parents, but it seemed to me that it was more than just a senior worship time, more than just a youth worship time, but rather a family worship time. I want this church to be that kind of church. And a part of that begins with what we do not only on Sunday morning, but being at stuff like what we're going to do tonight. It starts at six o'clock and I would love it if you guys would come and join us. We're going to close with a song, and it's just one verse of a song. I don't even know that we need an instrument, but I'm going to ask Daly if she would come up because she's just awesome about stuff like that. And we're going to sing together Amazing Grace, just one verse, and I want you as we sing to consider the grace that God extended to you. Consider how good he's been to you. Join us if you would stand as we close with Amazing Grace today. You can play it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Sorry, I'm throwing this on you at the last minute. I'm sorry. I'll be high. I'm sorry. singing Chris Tomlin version. I'm so sorry. Amazing. 
the grace of God and the grace that goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So take the Holy Spirit with you now as you go as his ambassadors to the world around you. Father, thank you for these people. May you be honored as they go and live for you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you and we're dismissed.